0: Welcome to Podcast Pastor. My name is Hayden Pyle, and my goal is to challenge every listener to reconsider the essence of Christianity. Be prepared to walk away with more questions than answers, and let us begin this episode's discussion. When I think of the word celebration, I think of holidays and big life events. The sounds you just heard are from a New Year's Eve party, and there are some distinct noises that are associated with celebrations, such as the sound of laughter, noisemakers, maybe even fireworks for big occasions. There are even songs and pieces of music that are associated for certain events in American culture. For example, This is the famous march used in graduations, or how about this... a wedding piece, and finally the iconic Okay, I may have added my own little twist to it, (laughs) but nonetheless, we have expectations when it comes to celebrations that they should have a certain feeling about them. The happy music and even the sounds are considered happy. People are pretty lively at celebrations, and the significance of the occasion, why you're celebrating, all contribute to how a celebration actually feels. It would be very odd, look very odd, feel very odd to most people to be at some type of party where there was no music at all and the guests were standing off to themselves, not engaging with anyone at all. No jokes, no stories, no laughter, no music, no lighthearted fun. I mean, heaven forbid, you even dance. A recent example of lighthearted celebration in my life happened at a math conference. And I know, before you roll your eyes and groan, I promise this story will be worth it. As a current math student at Evangel University, I attended a regional conference where my friend was presenting some research he had conducted. There has been a running joke in the math department to celebrate presentations by cutting out pictures of the presenter's face and taping them to sticks, basically as banners. We would bring noisemakers discreetly, and after the presentation, unbeknownst to the presenter and the other math conference attendees, the rest of us Evangel students would hoot and holler, make obnoxious noises, and reveal the cut-out faces of the presenter. And not only did the presenter get a kick out of this admiration, if you will, but so did the other participants of the conference. It broke up the monotony, and we all got a good laugh out of it. I mean, let's be real. People need a way to liven up a math conference, and I can say that because I'm a math student. I can also say, with about 95% confidence, that other math students and faculty appreciate humorous celebration moments for the presenters even if they can go a little overboard at times. I honestly think that humans desire to be creatures that celebrate in any occasion. It would seem that we create holidays and events for the sake of throwing a party. I think of music release parties, end of a season for a sport parties, family reunions, and the American initiative to have whole months dedicated to appreciating and celebrating certain people groups. However, I also think that Christians in particular have lost the art of celebration, or perhaps the discipline of celebration. For any current or former evangel student, you might know where I'm going with this, but I'd like to take a look at a book called The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, I was exposed to this gem of a book, My Freshman Year of College, and it describes spiritual practices that lead to a balanced Christian life. To paraphrase Foster, celebration is often the most neglected of disciplines, yet it is critically important. Why? Because at its heart it is the way to Christ. I mean, think about how Christ's entrance to the world was announced. As we read in Luke 2, 10-11, I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. After this announcement, shepherds ran to the stable to celebrate this child's birth. Jesus also left these words with his disciples in John 15 before his arrest. I have told you this so that you may be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. God came to earth as a man, carried more than the weight of the world on his shoulders, and died on a cross. And he claims that joy will overflow in people because of that. What? How does that even work? Since Jesus knew that joy was the end result, that was why Jesus could sacrifice so much. To generalize this, perhaps we should really consider beginning that next project, that next endeavor, that next relationship, or fill in the blank, if there is a possibility that joy is not the end result. It's also interesting to note that God commands celebration. In the Old Testament law books, such as Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God lists out days and even years that are set aside for celebration. These were designed to be lasting ordinances because God would say to Moses that these festivals are to be a permanent practice for you and it should be observed wherever you live. Ancient Israel would also build altars as places of worship and functioning as memorials for what God has done for them. I had never noticed this until recently that these altars in particular were meant to be permanent memorial sites. The phrase, the altar remains there to this day, appears in some form several times in the Old Testament. Thus, the altar would have had some legacy factor to later Israelites, and it could be used for the very same purpose, to celebrate what the Lord has done, but at a later time. I truly think that this is the missing link in contemporary Christianity. Since we have neglected this discipline of celebration for several generations, the memorials and altars set up by the predecessors of our faith have simply just gone dormant, not been used, or even worse, they've been covered up or taken down by worldly replicas of them. I would say that the healthiness of a Christian's practice of celebration can be determined by the number of permanent memorials that they have set up. The Christian who celebrates in a healthy way desires to leave a legacy of celebration to let Christians who come upon their memorials use them for the same purpose. Another aspect of celebrating as followers of Christ is our commitment to obedience in general. Not only does God command us to celebrate, he commands our total allegiance, our total obedience to him. We must be diligent as Christians to weave obedience into the daily fabric of our lives. Why? Because joy results in obedience, and obedience results in joy. Without obedience, what is the value of our joy? Why would we be joyful? Without joy, our obedience is robotic for the sake of duty, as if we serve a cruel master. I mean, when Christians live in misery Monday through Saturday because of sin in their life or a hard heart or a terrible attitude, and yet they go to church on Sunday expecting that God will give them the shot of joy, if you will, because they sing songs, have fellowship, pray in the Spirit, that is similar to me saying that I want to sustain my body for days without food, water, exercise, sleep and instead getting shots of espresso, for example, to keep me going. This is simply just not sustainable, nor is it how God designed humanity to be. It is in the ordinary moments, the daily moments, that God wants to see Christians acting in obedience. And I think celebration comes into our lives when the everyday parts of our lives are redeemed, when they are surrendered to God so that he can give those moments life, purpose, and value. What does celebration not look like? I find value in answering this question because it sheds light on the habitual nature of human behavior when it comes to our celebrating or the lack thereof. Celebration is not blessing the food we eat and then complaining about it. Celebration is not praising people in public And then criticizing them harshly in private. Celebration is not dismissing the evils of life as trivial, simply to be shrugged off because I must rejoice always as a Christian. Celebration is not recklessly living life with no thought of the consequences of our decisions and actions. What is Christ like celebration, then? In the words of Foster, the spirit of celebration will not be in us until we have learned to be careful for nothing. Wait a second, didn't I just say that we shouldn't live life recklessly? I mean, careful for nothing, carefree spirit, like YOLO, essentially, or FOMO, fear of missing out, like doing anything and everything to just do it for the sake of doing it? I think there's a hidden diamond in Foster's wisdom, though, where we put our trust is what we will celebrate and how much we trust in something will determine how much we celebrate that something so if we live life recklessly for our own advantage or our own pleasure we can only celebrate ourselves and historically speaking those celebrations will both be shallow and infrequent I mean how many kings of Israel that did evil in the sight of the Lord what did they have to celebrate something to think about however if we live recklessly in terms of radically trusting in God's provision and his goodness we are free to celebrate with abandon because God is worth every ounce of celebration that we can offer I'd like to end this conversation with some thoughts about when and how we can celebrate as Christians. American theologian Harvey Cox once said, Man has been pressed so hard toward useful work and rational calculations that he has all but forgotten the joy of ecstatic celebration. Ow! Oh, that hurts me. I mean, and if you're anything like me... You might be cringing like I am right now because you find value in useful work and rational calculations. I mean, come on, did I not just say that I attended a math conference earlier in this conversation? I must value rational calculations to some extent. But in all seriousness, just like our bodies can become weary without rest, our spiritual selves can become weary without good-natured celebration. As mentioned earlier, music is often associated with celebration. Singing, dancing, shouting praises to God are always to celebrate the goodness of God, but perhaps we can apply these to other occasions as well outside of worship. Folk dances are a prime example of this, I mean, if you could only see how many times I do a russian dance when I threw a hole in one on a disc golf course, man. You wouldn't see it very many times, but <laughs> despite that, that moment when you hear the chains go clink oh, and you know that disc is sitting there in that basket with a beautiful arc just watching it zip through the air. Oh. Naturally, I'm going to Russian dance if you know me at all. But these smaller moments in life can and should be celebrated personally, I would think. Perhaps you can think of moments in your own life that are dance-worthy. And I encourage you to try dancing in these special moments. To quote Foster, Only those who are insecure about their own maturity will fear such a delightful form of celebration. Those are Foster's words, not mine. Just a disclaimer. I would also encourage you to laugh. Laughter is a response to things that are not only humorous, but to joyous occasions as well. Psalm 126, 1-2 one says, When the Lord restored his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, What amazing things the Lord has done for them. This verse has a hidden diamond for us too. Perhaps a key reason as to why Christians should celebrate frequently and genuinely. Other people witness a Christian's celebration and conclude that God has worked in their lives. So, when should we celebrate? We celebrate when we have seen God work. And God works all of the time. How should we celebrate? We should celebrate in such a way that points to God, to his goodness, to his provision, and to how he delivers us from sin. If Christians do not celebrate frequently and genuinely, the world remains dark and indifferent to God. Because they have no reason to believe that God is working, that right there is what defeats God's command to make his name known throughout the nations. Perhaps the Great Commission should be viewed in terms of celebration then. Perhaps our greatest work as Christians is not the presentation of Christ through sermons, humanitarian aid, and programs, but perhaps it is the presentation of Christ through a legacy of celebrating by laughing, dancing, dancing, and valuing the call to obey Christ in everyday life. Because obedience results in joy, and joy results in obedience. This episode was produced by your host, Hayden Pyle, and you can find more episodes on major podcast streaming services. Thanks for supporting this endeavor by faithfully listening and encouraging others to listen as well. As we in today's episode, ponder these thoughts, and seek to apply them, because as we walk with Christ, one foot forward is progress. Until next time, I'm Hayden Pyle, and thanks for joining me in this reconsideration of Christianity.